Hey everyone, welcome back to Policy Punchline. Here at the show, we interview scholars, policymakers, and business executives about some of the most urgent issues and frontier ideas in our world today. I'm Princeton Senior Tiger Gao. I'm here again on Zoom with my co-host Francesca Walton, who also just graduated Princeton along with me. Uh, we're both graduating uh, alum now, uh, and, and we're back with uh, a former guest of ours, uh, Paul Haga Jr., who is an American businessman who was the acting CEO of NPR National Public Radio. He's also the former chairman and director of Capital Research and Management Company. He retired from the Capital Group at the end of 2012, but recently he joined a Facebook's oversight board as the, the, the chairperson of the trust for the oversight board. And as our listeners may know, uh, the Facebook oversight board has been embroiled in all kinds of uh, controversies for making decisions, especially related to uh, tr the banning Trump, the Facebook's decision of banning Trump after the January 6th Capitol riot. So we decided to have uh, Paul back on the show just to talk about Facebook. So here's our conversation. Uh, please enjoy. Paul, the last time we, we talked, it was back in April, the end of April, and that was before Facebook had announced any decision. And I think it was on May 5th, 2021, that the Oversight Board posted the, no the notice that basically said they upheld uh, Facebook's suspension of former U.S. President Donald Trump's Facebook and Instagram accounts. And as they stated in January, they believed that their decision was necessary and right, and they're pleased the board has recognized that the unprecedented circumstances justified the uh, exceptional measures they took. So that's from the, the press release. And I guess you, be, because of your special role and, and your involvement with the situation, you were uh, you joined Facebook's oversight board as the chairperson of this trust overseeing the board um, a, a little while ago. So would you mind just recapping the, the situation, the timeline, maybe even starting from January 6th, but also uh, how exactly the board came to its decisions and, and whether you were pleased with that, kind of sketching things out for us a, a little bit. Maybe that's a very... I'll focus on the Trump decision and we can circle back to some of the origin stories, uh, if you wish. But um, the, 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 the decision, the January 6th, first of all, the, the, the board, oversight board can get decisions one of two ways. Either Facebook can ask them to decide on something, um, or uh, they can choose to decide on something. The separately, the the way the whole system of taking down and leaving up happens is there are algorithms, and the algorithms automatically remove millions of postings a week. Uh, and there are a number of things that will trigger, but they are algorithms. And so subtlety isn't um, high on the, you know, subtlety and, and picking up sarcasm and things like that is not high on their list. And it's come up in a couple of decisions. But the, the way there are 35,000 reviewers out there staring at computers all day, um, there are Facebook employees or consultants uh, all over the world, 100 languages. Um, and they, what happens is if an, they, can, they can get a, an issue, a question about a leave up or a takedown in two ways. One is the algorithms, if they're not certain, and some of them are certain, they'll immediately take them down like child pornography. They don't, they're just gone, done instantly. Um, but there are some others that may be criticisms of people or, or whatever that, uh, that require, and so the algorithms kick to the 35,000 people, some, actually many um, questions that look 
um, look like they might be objectionable, but but aren't so clear on their face. They'll get tens of thousands of those every day to look at. Uh, the other way a one of the 35,000 get it is if somebody complains. So even if the if you put something up, algorithm doesn't kick it out, but somebody says, hey, Tiger put this thing up, it's awful. Um, then that goes that goes to a, to a human. Um, so those humans are making a bunch of decisions very quickly uh, and they've had training and they're based on the community standards. And, but people can appeal those decisions and they can appeal, used to be able to appeal only a takedown and now they can appeal a takedown or a leave up um, decision. Uh, there's 20,000 or so that, that they, when that's happened, the appeal, then they can when they can appeal and it gets to Facebook and it gets to a it gets to us to the oversight board, and we have a huge uh, group of them. There's a whole staff uh, and, a, and a committee of the Facebook of the oversight board members that then selects cases to take. And I think you've seen the ones they've taken. They can't select them solely on the basis that. It, it was a wrong decision. It, there's too many of them for that. Uh, so they take the ones that are of interest and of likely of broad applicability. And so you'll see that the, um, the all the decisions, and I'll get to the, the Trump one is a little different, but I'll get to that in a minute. But the, the decisions, that the, the, the non-Trump decisions you've heard, you can usually, if you read the opinion, which can go on for 10 to 30 pages, and the advice that goes along with the take it down, leave it up uh, decision. Um, when you read that, you will you probably can get some ideas about why they select them. It's so that it can, if it's if it has a knock on effect, either in terms of reprogramming the algorithms or in the, uh, or in refining the um, uh, community standards or in the training methods for the thirty five thousand. Then that's often what they'll pick up because there's a there's a message there, not just a, a right or wrong thing. Trump is one of the two or three cases where we didn't pick it, although we might have. Facebook kicked it over to us immediately and said, "We want your opinion on this." The decision is still a take it up, leave it down decision, but the recommendations go way beyond that, and it's usually a company as in the Trump case. It was it was accompanied by a bunch of questions. Uh, how do the recommendations usually get enforced? I mean, you are a lawyer. Does Is this in some sense a court system where if you have a ruling and there's a precedent, then the future rulings would, you know, cite previous discussions and precedents? And how seriously can the Facebook, do the Facebook employees and engineers need to take the advice from the board? Yeah, well, it, good good question, but analogizing it to a court case. In a court system, um, Although you can argue about whether a, a subsequent case fits the decision on all, all four points or squares. Um, in this case, the only actual legally binding contractually obligated decision is the up or down decision. Um, Facebook can ask for advice that's binding. They usually just ask for advice. Uh, so, and they get advice with it. Is it legally binding? No. Uh, was the whole thing set up to benefit the system and therefore does Facebook have a very high incentive to comply with it whenever they can? Yes. And 
the recommendations uh, often are things that you know Facebook agrees with and would have gotten to if uh, if they thought of it and make make the whole system a, a, a better place for the for the users. So they have every incentive, I think, to uh, to agree with things and implement them to the to the best extent they can. And and what is the relationship between Facebook, the board? and the trust, uh, you kind of sketched it out for Francesca and me before our interview, but I would love to hear you explain that for our audience. Yeah, the, you know, Facebook set up the entity that I'll call the board. And the board consists of board members who the entire role is to make these decisions. And then to give them, those board members, somebody to report to, somebody to select them, somebody to, renew their their terms if appropriate and somebody decide their pay who's not named mark or cheryl um they they set up our board of trustees and there's eight of us uh seven of us and uh plus a corporate trustee and we're the ones who decide all those things so we're in the process now of setting we've got a budget for this year we're about to set it for next year we also employ um about 65 people who are the support team to the oversight board in helping them select cases, review cases, and they, you know, we, we take public comments, and I think there were over 10,000 public comments uh, about the Trump case. Um, so they review those, they summarize those, they uh, forward those on to the board members, and then they, once the decision's made, they help them, they help the board members write up the case, and the case is yes or no, followed by, you know, up or down, followed by a whole bunch of uh, recommendations, including responding to Facebook's questions, as well as gratuitous um, observations about uh, how the system can work better. Uh, what, what was the reasoning, I guess, for uh, uh, upholding the ban? Did, did you agree with the reasoning? And how exactly was the decision made? What were people debating within, you know, yeah. conference rooms and, and then voting or? Correct. Well, here, here, technically, what happens is there's the research. There's a five, there are 20 now, soon to be more, but there are 20 now members of the oversight board. They decide cases in the research and make preliminary decisions in cases in teams of five. There's a five person team, there's somebody chairing the team, there's, and these rotate among the, among the 20, but there always has to be at least one person from the region where the out of which the decision is arising so there's obviously an american on the trumpet we don't announce who made the decisions for safety and privacy reasons they will come up with a proposed decision but then they'll pretty quickly the process requires that the opinion and the final um, report has to be approved by at least 11 of the 20 other people, so it's not it's it's intensively drafted and uh, decided by the five, but then they have to present something that the eleven of the twenty will go along. And, and sometimes you will see, in fact, you'll see it in the Trump case, um, a statement that says a minority would have, and so it's you know it's not something that got a majority vote in the thing, but it was a there was a there was enough of a sentiment in that direction that we respectfully wanted to, uh, even though it's not part of the recommendation, it's just something of which we want to make the, you know, a, a, an idea or a thought 
of which we want to make the world, world aware. One example is in the Trump case, there was a minority said that before you put Trump back up, you should make him formally publicly disavow his views about the stolen election. The majority didn't go along with that as a specific condition to oppose, but a minority was uh, um, uh, was strong enough in their views about it that they included it in the report. So the decision, anyway, the decision was was a couple of things. One was the, the the question presented was were you were we Facebook correct to take it down when we took it down? That was the question. Answer was yes. Beyond that, they pointed out that even though you were right to take it down, the the in effect the remedy that you followed was to to suspend him indefinitely. And you, Facebook, in your list of options, didn't include indefinitely. You had, you know, you had not for an account. You had it for a piece, but not an account. So you you could suspend somebody. Oddly enough, you the the, the internal procedures said you can suspend somebody forever, but not for an indefinite period. And so that's why it came back. And they said, you one of the things was okay. You, you know, you 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 know, you don't you don't allow yourself to do indefinite. You can either change your rules to say we can have an indefinite if you want to do that, but we would recommend instead that you have uh, your practice include indefinite, or excuse me, um, periodic, um, you know, suspensions for a period of time with the obligation to revisit them. That that's a better way to do it than have it indefinite and yet. You know, you either take it up or you never take it up and wait for somebody to appeal. So that was the that was the thought there. And that's what Facebook's responding to. And I think you saw there was some grid that said, um, you know, one years, two years, three years, and there were various shades. And I'm not surprised, Francesca, when you, uh, I think that was you that said that, that the uh, that doesn't seem terribly enlightening. And you're right. It's it's flexible. I won't call it unenlightening. I'll call it I'll call it quite flexible, uh, which means it's a little unspecific. I'll say, but at least is gives some guidance. And 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 the object there was that the people using Facebook will understand what could happen to them if they commit multiple offenses. And there was another part of it that said, let people know. You know, we had an in, internal three strikes rule that turned out to be about a seven strike rule for Trump um, that was, you know, informally followed. And they said, if, you, if you've got these internal rules, publish them. So they're, they're working on that too. Just to clarify, the, the graph that Paul was talking about was uh, people can Google it at home if they want to. It's, the title is like heightened penalties for public figures during times of civil unrest and ongoing violence. So it's like a bar where it's like, uh, if you do something, it's like one month. If you do something, it's one year. But it's not. It doesn't specifically say like what, what you, you did do? per se. Yeah, it's very hard to to, to yeah, tell. Here's, here's the punishment. We're not going to define the crimes. So <laughs> it was. It was sort of. It was like being. A it was being as definite as they could without boxing everybody in. So that was the thing. But you're. You know, I bet we wouldn't have had, I bet Facebook wouldn't have invented that box had they not been asked to be a little more definite. <laughs> well, Paul, I, um, 
Okay, I was, I had a question in mind, but this just like led me, you know, to another thought. So I want to circle back on, you know, the two year mark, and I hope we, you know, get to it in a few minutes. But right now I want to ask about what you think this could mean for specifically other, um, I don't want to say other Republicans or other conservatives, but in some ways that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, what do you think this means for or you know, senators or other people who lean more towards Trump's direction? Like, do you think this makes them weary? Do you think this makes them frustrated and eager to release, you know, more content along the same lines? Or do you think this is just a major, like, okay, here is the punishment? Um, Yeah, how do you think people are really going to, you know, react or have already reacted? Well, first of all, you know, Trump didn't, Trump's post account didn't get shut down because he said there should be lower taxes and less regulation. He incited, very specifically incited people who had all the Brandenburg VOIO tests for being outside of the free speech protections, had the ability, the means, and the likelihood to uh, become violent. And so anybody who's not doing something specifically like that should not be worried. He didn't get taken, this This didn't happen because he's a Republican. I'm a Republican and it's not happening to me. And so, you know, I think if somebody, I, I know that many of my fellow Republicans feel that Facebook has been overly hard on us. Now, if you're, if, if, if because of that feeling, you want to provoke Facebook into taking down your posts and eliminating your account to prove that it picks on more Republicans than Democrats. Well, you know, good luck to you. Uh, yeah, it'll happen if you if you want us to prove you want to provoke us into taking you down. I promise we'll take you down. You know, the algorithms may miss a few things, but. But if you if you if you ramp up the intensity of it, um, and then you get taken down, and then you realize this is a good way to get taken down, and so you publish something real similar, we'll take you down and again and again, and we'll we'll well then we'll ban you for some long period of time, and then you can say, look, I'm a Republican, they took me down, we're picking on you, you. Know, but you know, it, don't back to your original question, Francesca. Don't worry that. Trump got taken down for expressing conservative political views or for being a conservative. He incited violence successfully, period. Well, and yes, I, you know, if I had worded that question better, I wouldn't have you know, necessarily said, you know, Republicans or conservatives. Well, I think that, um, I still, though, think that there are people who, you know, sh- who yeah share, some, yeah, Trumpists, yeah. and uh, and some conserv- yeah, conserv- who share you know similar beliefs to Trump, who still then feel as if like okay, you know, do I have I inched too close to some of his views? Will I be at risk of you know yeah. being deplatformed? Um, but anyway, so yeah, I want to yeah. just go so back. What, also, Francesca, you know, you don't get deplatformed the first time. No, for sure. Take several strikes, and so you know, if, if you're you're gonna get you're gonna get in effect, you're gonna get warned, 
about things and then you'll have some idea of i think people develop ideas about what's acceptable and what's not i'll, I'll give one one the the let in the first quarter of 2020 we took that uh, facebook took down without even any review the algorithm took down 12 million pieces of child pornography first quarter of 2021 we took down only 4 million pieces that's still 4 million too many but what it says is people start to develop based on experience, people are gonna to start to develop ideas about what works, what you can put up and what you don't. And they've taken their child pornography elsewhere. And I'm sorry about elsewhere, but I'm not sorry that it's not on Facebook. Yeah, but that's that's exactly my point. I think a lot of Republicans are, that, are now saying, and again, Republicans, Trumpists are now saying, you know, separate groups um, are now saying, okay, I need to be careful. I'm changing what I put on the platform. And so I think I'm now thinking about how does, how perhaps does certain content change? Um, yeah. But I also just want to, you know, ask about um, the two-year mark, you know, our conversation a few minutes ago, we were talking about how there were a lot of different options. It could have been that Trump was banned forever, could have been a certain, another period of time, um, or it could have been that you know, his content was monitored or certain pieces were taken down. But I want to focus on the two-year mark since, you know, the reality here. Yeah. Um, specifically when it comes to the two-year mark, you know, is, is that done to cover the midterm elections? And, and why just the midterm elections? Why not the next, you know, run for presidency? Why not four years, five years? And yeah, if you could talk more about the the two-year yeah. mark, that'd be great. Yeah, Francis, it's a really good question. And then one that we thought, talked a lot about. Um, it, I'm fine with the two-year ban personally. And even though the board hasn't come back to Facebook and said, yes, the two-year ban is fine, uh, it's fine. Um, and, and so it's going to be, it's going to be what it is. And it's going to, it's going to stick with that is my strong expectation. Um, I, if I had been required to bet, and you know, everybody has cocktail party discussions about this, if I had been forced to bet a large amount of my own money about what the length of the thing would have been, I would have guessed till just after the midterm election, and I would have been wrong, and I would have lost my large amount of money. Uh, so I'm glad I didn't bet that. Um, but two years is fine. It's, you know, just a little bit longer than that, and it's a specific period, and it gets us past that election and probably, I don't know what was in their mind, but probably a little bit about contesting the 2022 election. So he's not right back up there, you know, saying it was stolen or something like that. So that, that's just, that's a guess. I don't know that. That's a guess of how they came up with the, the two year. But I, I think it's fine. I think it's appropriate. Uh, as I think we've said before, he isn't totally, he, he's off our platform, but he's not totally silenced. Um, the fact that his own, new platform didn't work as well as he would have wanted, maybe suggests that there is an advantage to being on, you know, the, on the Instagram, the Facebook, the, uh, the others that, uh, Twitters, that, that doesn't accrue to just being on a, one of the, the upstart of the new, uh, the new ones. Yeah, yeah, Paul, I want to... My little granddaughters are behind me. They're ages before. <laughs> it's always nice to add some personal touch to the podcast. Yeah. It, it yeah. makes us feel uh, less stern. But uh, that was a great, uh, interesting point that you just mentioned because uh, Trump's personal, you know, it's, uh, 
however you call this media attempts or, or enterprises or blog that they're starting yeah. right now is not working as well. And it seems to imply that there's something unique about Facebook's virality on Instagram, on Facebook. So seeing that, do people at Facebook feel like in some sense, maybe there's something inherent about Facebook's way of spreading information or, or a mechanism through which it disperses uh, political messages that, that could have some inherent detriment to, to democracy. Like say we limit Facebook's role in, in political discourse, maybe that would help limit spread of misinformation in general or, or something. Do, yeah. do people think about these? Well, a couple of things. One is that, that um, I, I think the breadth of Facebook, 2.8 billion accounts. And by the way, in the last year, we've taken down twice that many accounts, 5.6 billion accounts have been taken down false accounts, unnamed accounts, et cetera. So not for cause, but just because they weren't real accounts. But the, um, the answer to your question is, it, it, you know, Facebook breadth is way more of an advantage than a challenge, I think, because it, it is it, what it's supposed to be is a broad marketplace of ideas and thoughts and, and connections and connecting the world. And, you know, people talk about the Arab Spring wouldn't happen without Facebook and a lot of things like that. There's things that, that wouldn't happen without Facebook. So uh, um, we think it's an inherent good. The election things, uh, I'll just say stay tuned because even in the 2020 election, Facebook uh, took down a lot of accounts, took down a lot of posts, did a lot of, we don't boast about uh, fact-checking because it, we're not comprehensive enough to get that right. But um, there was a great deal of fact-checking uh, informally. And, um, and I think that it's highly likely that for the 2022 election, there will be even more robust and publicly known and available procedures. Um, so stay tuned. There, and and there, was, there was more than you know about in 2020, and a lot of it worked really well, particularly taking down certain groups um, that were that were on there. Um, and there's going to be more for 2022, but it, it's just in the development stage, and I'd be getting out ahead of us if I talked about it. Paul, one other interesting thing is, it seems that the two-year ban, Francesca was asking about this, and one interesting component is that when it ends, it should just bring us right up to the period where campaigning for the 2024 uh, uh, presidential elections primary season yeah. should, should probably start around that time. So a lot of people would say, yes, it's good that you're you know stopping Trump from doing two years of quote-unquote damage or something, but in some sense, that seems to be the worst time you could choose to decide whether you allow him back on or not, because whatever you do, it will be politicized. It will be seen to be the most volatile period to do it. Yeah, whatever we do, but you know, we're not we're not in the business of stopping him from spreading his faith. We're in the business of not having him not incite riots. So let's just remember that you know that a lot of people who make an argument against us letting him back up don't want his views known. Well, sorry, he gets to have his views known as long as they don't you know, incite violence or violate our community standards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Paul, maybe just to get, get a little bit deeper about Facebook and, and uh, its role in the public discourse, something that was on Francesca in my mind was, uh, it, it seems to many that Facebook 
is like a public utility. It's like a public square. People come here, they debate. It is, it is also a, a cheap way. You know, it's, it's free, it's easy to access. And it's essential for a lot of people to access news. To, to it's, it's life-changing and indispensable to their lives to have. So, so what would be your thoughts in, into having more government regulation directly on this type of platforms to say, we will regulate it in some way as a, as a public square or as a public utility or however you call this. Um, I, I don't know, do, do you or people at Facebook, you, you must have entertained the, these ideas, even though it's probably not in Facebook's commercial interest to be regulated by the government and... Really, really interesting question. And, and one of the important issues here and you, you can devise a lot of reasons why Facebook might not want to be responsible for this, but let the government do it. Because then when somebody gets mad at us for taking down a post or leaving it up, we can shrug and you know, Facebook can shrug, it's not we. Facebook could shrug and say, well, government made me do it, sorry. Several issues with government regulation, first of all, or even, even some kind of government oversight of self-regulation. So, you know, the SEC has to approve all the rules that FINRA, or formerly NASD, that I was involved in within my mutual fund career, has to approve all its uh, rules. They have some delegated authority, but it's, it's really restricted and restrained by the SEC. And you can appeal a punishment from NASD or FINRA to the SEC. So as SEC has a lot of authority over it. Well, if, there were, if that were the structure, so we had an independent you know, oversight board, and the and there was a government agency that was watching us and could rewrite our rules or could uh, take appeals from us or something like that. That is so much that to me, at some pretty early point, would become enough government involvement that the First Amendment would kick in. It would also be enough government involvement that people would say which government, because. We don't want the EU or Modi or people from out, you know, other governments um, regulating us. There are different, you know, we, we the US are the most uh, 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 tied to free speech principles. Other governments, think, you know, think they're nice, but uh, aren't, as, uh, aren't as rigorous about them. Anyway, if the, if the, if, if the First Amendment applied to what the Oversight Board is doing, we couldn't do a tenth of what we do. So, you know, government regulation may happen and may, people may think of it's a good idea, but um, my responses to that are which government and get ready for the First Amendment, making us leave up a lot of stuff you don't wanna see. Uh, Paul, would you mind clarifying a little bit more for our listeners about the First Amendment? Because it, people talk about like Section 230, First Amendment, and online. It just seems that it's, it's very different for, for Facebook. Yeah. Well, I'll do Section 230 first. Section 230 is a, was adopted back at the very beginning of the, of the internet to let the internet grow, basically, let social media grow. It's based on, it, 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 gives a, it, it takes away liability from the media companies for most importantly, it was for slander and libel, um, but it also can be for other things, but that was gonna be commercial violations of you know, copyright laws or something. But 
It was mainly to protect libel, slander, and copyright. Um, it was based on the fact that we are a market, that, that social media is a bulletin board, not a, um, not a publisher. So, you know, you wouldn't blame the phone company for what somebody said over the phone, whereas you can blame a newspaper for what got printed in the newspaper because they were, they were publishing and editing the phone company is and it's just a device. Now, one of the interesting things come up 10 years after Section 230 was adopted, one of the things that comes up is, okay, if Facebook's and, and Instagram and others are now doing so much policing of their sites and setting of rules, at what point in that um, uh, sphere, what, in that area, do they uh, become not a bulletin board, but a publisher? I don't know where it is. I think we're a long way from it now, but at some point I could imagine someone arguing, well, you, you guys are doing so much regulation, uh, content regulation now that you are publishers, you're no longer bulletin boards, you don't deserve this protection because you have the ability to prevent copyright, slander, libel, um, business tort and other uh, um, uh, violations. So that's the, that's that piece. That's the two thirty piece. Well, the First Amendment piece is is a little even more straightforward. It's basically saying, at some level of federal government involvement, um, or any government, any state government involvement, because of the Fourteenth Amendment um, incorporating the first, it's at a level of state or federal involvement, the First Amendment kicks in. Now I don't know what happens outside the U.S., which doesn't have the First Amendment, but I know that happens in the U.S. I don't know what point that is. But it's it's not way down the road. It's it's pretty close. So th that's why the instant reaction to these like legislation, like the Florida legislation, has been kind of a wave of the back of the hand by a lot of lawyers saying, you know, don't worry about that. It violates the First Amendment. So I haven't studied it enough to have a strong opinion on it, but I suspect that most efforts at regulation um, are going to at least bump up against the First Amendment. Well, I also want to ask, um, you know, more for my own sake, but also, you know, for our listeners too, um, what would you, like when, I mean, I can only imagine the conversations that you've had with friends, family, others, those at work, et cetera, and, you know, they share their own views on, you know, this topic, and I think it's very easy to you know, get muddled in it all. Um, but it's also just a topic that I think we all have our own views on and it's easy to disagree upon, et cetera. I mean, how do you kind of explain the situation when someone comes to you and says, like, you know, how, how dare you, you know, ban, ban Trump or, or why aren't you banning him for longer or why didn't you ban him, you know, sooner? Um, I mean, do you, yeah, how do you kind of, yeah, how do you respond or how do you walk them through your thought process? Yeah, thanks for that, Francesca. In fact, I had a situation just a few weeks ago. I was at a cocktail party with probably the smartest person I know, uh, and I'm sure of that because she's a Princeton grad. Um, and she said, why would you guys want to let Trump back on? Nobody wants to hear from him. And I said, first of all, that's not the standard. We don't let people around on Facebook on whether we or any of our friends wants to hear from them. It wouldn't be much of a, wouldn't be much of a, uh, a broad media 
social media connection if that were the standard. But I, often if I just say, look, the, you know, it, it, what good are we if we don't have up there ideas with which we disagree? We should take down dan imminently dangerous ideas, but ideas that are objectionable, um, they help us form better ideas. And you know, if you don't have a discussion, you, you really don't get to as good a conclusion uh, as you do after the, in the marketplace of ideas has, has taken over. And usually people will say, yeah, because it was mostly an emotional things, you know, that I'd like that guy out of my life, why don't you ban him? And then when, they, when they're forced to think about it, what's the world gonna be like if that's the kind of thing we do? Um, or anybody does, frankly, uh, then um, they come around really quickly. So I've never had a real knockdown drag out uh, with friends. Um, and mostly when you, and what, what, what most often happens, Francesca, is somebody will, will cite a single incident in which something that got taken down shouldn't have been taken down, something that got left out. And all I do then is talk about volume and manage their, manage their expectations. One of my favorite common uh, uh, tropes is manage expectation. Manage your expectation about what we can do. We're here to make it better, not perfect. So don't tell us times when it wasn't perfect and expect we're not doing our job or that we're somehow failed. We're, we're, we're not, we're, that's, not, that's not the measure. I had one, I'll just tell you one incident. My brother-in-law uh, called me, my older sister's uh, husband, and he'd come out of his church in Massachusetts and some woman came up to him and I guess had found out that I was doing this Facebook role and said, my group, which had, you know, the church ladies of Cambridge or something, got, to, got taken down as a whole group. And we, we just can't understand it. And, you know, they were little old ladies in veils at church. So my, my brother-in-law couldn't understand either. And so... He emailed me saying, he says, can you look into it? And I said, well, volume, you know, we make mistakes. Why don't you appeal? And there's a process, stuff like that. And then a, uh, like two hours later, he emailed me and he said, I checked out their website. It's horrible. Don't leave it up. Or, you know, don't, don't return it. Leave it, leave it down. <laughs> you know, he's like, we called the church later. So I, mean, I don't know. I still don't know what was on it, but it was. <laughs> so. You know, you, 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 if we overreact to every anecdote, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to clearly get it wrong. Yeah. And, and the answer is it's impossible. But usually, it, it, long, long word answer to Francesco's question is usually ex explaining why the First Amendment is important and why broad disagreement is important and, and reminding them what we do take down. It has to be really immediately harmful and strongly harmful, not just a bad idea to be in the mix. Um, but then secondly, that um, you, there's always gonna be anecdotes out there that where you think we got it wrong in my brother-in-law case, we actually got it right. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, but, but Paul, I, I feel like Francesca and, and what, you, what Fran asked and what you said, uh, pointed to something very interesting, which is somehow everybody has, has got some story about how someone in their life got something wrong on Facebook and Facebook did some sort of injustice. I mean, it, it seems that Facebook just cannot make people happy. And I, and I really want to ask you that this, and to be somewhat facetious, like why does everybody hate Facebook? Like, like liberals, conservatives, free speech advocates, you know, public intellectuals, everybody hates Facebook. 
Yeah, you know, Paul, I thinks, like Facebook. <laughs> well, thank you, Francesca. That's one. I, <laughs> well, if there were a studio audience, I'd ask people to raise their hands. Yeah. <laughs> people, people hate Facebook, but they're on Facebook. And even if they're not on Facebook, they're hearing things that come. Exactly. Through. So it, it is, you, you know, would you, even if you, first of all, you can't go back to no social media. You might blow up Facebook, but something else would take its place. People want, despite their complaints, they want social media and they're gonna have social media. So let's start with that. Um, then, you, you know, secondly, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're the largest and most prominent, I think, and we got the most people. Thirdly, I think it's impossible for this many messages to have gone out from this many users and for there to be a single person on the planet who hasn't been offended by something that appeared on Facebook. It's just, it, it, at some point it's you know random number, the law of large numbers gets you and you, of course you've been offended. Whereas I've never been, I've been never been offended by, 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 by um, uh, the, you know, the, the uh, 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 Twitter, because I'm not on it. Um, if I were, I'd, I'd probably be offended by it. So, you know, I think, and, and, and people will say they hate it because they want it to, I think a lot of sometimes it's, there's a little love in there too. They want us to be better. And so they express it as hatred, but what they really mean is we're stuck with you guys. You're the only, you know, or the largest <laughs> in town. We're stuck with you. Yeah. We really want to, you know, yell at you until you approve. The other thing, I'll just, I've, I've analogized many complaints at Facebook to being like shouting at the umpire. You know there's no chance of affecting the call that just got made, but you want to affect the next call. So you yell at them for taking your post down, even if you realize there was a good reason they took your post down. They just don't want them to, because you yelled at them, you don't want them to do it again. And I think there's, I think there's a bit of that of shouting at the umpire that, uh, that goes on. It's affecting the next call, not the current one. So, Paul, it's, it seems that people, most people would agree they don't want the government to step in and, and the government shouldn't be taking down Facebook posts or something. But also at some level, it does seem that just the fact that uh, Facebook uh, banned Trump or the fact that you know, Amazon Web Services decided to take down Parler, which was the conservative yeah. um, service uh, that, that was also taken down after the January 6th, the fact that these platforms show that they could um, do this, that they have the power to censor things. That fact showed people that there are somewhat monopolies of certain powers of discourses, and that seemed to have opened them up to vulnerable vulnerabilities uh, for antitrust cases. And, and that's what some people are saying, which is that finally there is a way that you can get Amazon where you can get Facebook yeah. or Google now because they finally exercised their power this time not just for the interests of consumers per se, but actually to censor someone they disagree. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm now recalling law school 50 years ago, um, but as I remember in studying antitrust, uh, it is not a violation of the antitrust laws to be a monopoly. It is a violation to monopolize, to engage in monopolizing behavior. Um, in addition, the FTC has to approve a lot of mergers, and you know, uh, and, you know, if you if if the FTC is now wringing its hand and wishing it didn't approve mergers, it doesn't mean we 
Amazon or Facebook or Amazon or somebody merged illegally, they got approval at the time and you can revisit your approval, but you can't, you know, you can't um, fault the company for having to do, do, for doing something they were allowed to do. Uh, one observation this is a little off the point, but I think it's important, is that the existence of the quote monopolies, and I don't think they're monopolies, but the, the uh, I'll call it large market power of a few social media groups have reminded us or pointed out to us strongly that the antitrust laws haven't been revisited in decades. And they have all they're written for, you know, things being intrastate or interstate, rather than for being things being international. They talk about territories uh, where things might be sold, or services might be provided. And while they touch a little bit on services, they mostly touch on physical products. And so they're just they're they're way out of date. They're written for the industrial revolution. And it's brief and it's immediate aftermath, not for the age of information or whatever we're calling this. So they do, they do need a review. And in reviewing them, I think we certainly need, because of the importance of social media, we certainly need to look at how they apply to social media. But trying to fit, you know, complaints about um, or issues with, that you have with. Uh, uh, with the social media companies into a structure built for selling cars and car parts is, is just is that's probably not the best way to approach this. Thank you, Paul. Um, I have a you know other like burning question. I mean, so you know, a lot of people say, or you know, some may say that you know external this external advisory council is a way for Facebook, um, you know you know, to govern, you know, itself, you know, as a public utility, etc. Um, but, you know, that's, that's pretty much, you know, that's Facebook, you know, all but admitting that it has, you know, this, you know, yeah, too much power. Um, and it's trying to put some external, like, image on fairness and democracy. Um, but, you know, people would disagree. I mean, would, like, what, yeah, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think Francesca, I'd, I'd, I'd um, agree with, but, but take you up on the words too much power. Um, that I, I think if you ask, if you ask any of us involved in this, it's Facebook, the oversight board, and the trustees, the OSB admin, we would say that it, it you, you know, that too much power is not the, is not exactly the, um, uh, the 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 best way to cite it, it or characterize it it's doing something for which it doesn't have a particular expertise and particularly doing something that has such broad implications beyond it and its user base um, and so much so many implications for the public interest uh, and the desire to have that done both expertly and independently to get the ideal outcome, because there are so many, you know, there are so many um, people impacted by it, other than Facebook itself, and, and that's unusual in, in companies. Um, 
And it's also something that, you know, as we talked about in the previous conversation, it, it's, you know, we're doing, Facebook is there, social media is doing something that doesn't easily lend itself to regulation and therefore inventing a form of self-regulation for itself is a good idea to fill in the gap there. Paul, these are just obviously such complex questions. And even just from our conversation in the past hour, I have I got a sense that you have a very nuanced understanding of the situation and you seem to be very, uh, dare I say, moderate in, in, in approaching this issue that you, you talk about how it has a lot of power, how we need to update our antitrust laws, but you also talk about how you need to talk to Facebook employees and hear their, their thoughts. So I guess in this process, uh, as you interact with critics, with people within Facebook, uh, other advisory board members, trustees, uh, how would you kind of characterize the, the, the people working on these issues? Do you think people are mostly open-minded? Do you think people are, um, a, lot of, a lot of them are defending Facebook uh, almost to an extent that is undesirable? What do you think? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll say yes and um, to that one. Um, you know, I, 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 I tend to, this is probably a broader response than, than I, first of all, I'm too old to be passionate. I, I just, I, I, I've been involved in too many things. I've been around 72 years. I've, you know, worked <laughs> as well. I've been involved in multiple boards, multiple situations, managing companies, et cetera, and uh, our operations or enterprises. And after a certain point, you just get to where it, you, you've seen, you use the word nuance, you've just seen so much complexity and so much nuance that it's really hard to be a firebrand anymore because it, it's just not that simple. That, that everything's gray after a certain point in life and, and, and it should be. And so um, are there passionate people out there who um, may you know, care more about expressing the right views than they do about getting to yes or getting something accomplished. Of course, there's lots of them and they're everywhere. Um, but, you know, importantly, we work as in communities, in teams, in boards, in uh, organizations. And so the passions get expressed, but they don't always create the, uh, the, the, the kind of one-sided outcomes that, that sometimes are reflected in the uh, in the passionate speech. So just, you know, I, I, you, I took that as something of a compliment, but, uh, you know, you, you'll be there if you live, if, if when you live long enough, you know, in 50 years, you'll be, you'll be as phlegmatic as I am about all this stuff. And as hard to, as hard to arouse to a, to a, to a lather. Do, do you feel like this is uh, almost an old story? Uh, an old story, an old structure, old power dynamics in the sense like a lot of media theorists would say, you know, a lot of the, the way social media works is both new and old, you know, the, the way it influences our brain is a little bit unknown, mm -hmm. but a lot of the ways they transmit information is still similar. And, and sounds like from what you were saying, a lot of the governance questions, you know, corporate debates, that, that, that's also something you've seen repeatedly. So what would be uh, something throughout your lifetime that you think was most similar to this current situation you're de dealing with at Facebook? Yeah, let me comment and then I'll answer your specific question. But the, um, it's not an old story, but it's a familiar story. And what's familiar about it is people and how people think and how they get to yes and how the different people approach things differently and something will be 
you know, stand out to somebody but not to somebody else. And that's the challenge. And, and, and by the way, that's what keeps it fun. Uh, you, you know, it avoids, avoids the sameness. So no, no two meetings, no meeting ever goes the way I thought it would exactly. No two things are ever, nothing's predictable. And that's fabulous. Otherwise, I'd, you know, been bored long ago. Um, and, and so that's, that, that's the same, this is the sameness and the familiarity is, is the infinite number of different ways people think and the challenges of getting the thoughts into the, sort of into the decision processes and then coming up with the, the, right, the right decisions and, and, uh, and implementing them. So that, that's where we're going. And then that's the same as everything I've ever done. Um, back to my Boy Scout troop or by paper route or things like that, sports teams. Um, so that's a familiar part. Analogizing it, um, you know, I've never, been, I've, I've been involved in self-regulation, never quite like this, because we, we don't have, you know, the, the, just because of the way we're set up. Um, I've been involved in regulation, not quite like this. I've been involved in nonprofits, not quite like this. I've been involved in companies, not quite like this. So it's, it's hard to find a particular analogy. I'll just say that bits and bits and pieces of my different experiences contribute to my, I think, ability to do this. Um, but the one consistent is people. The people are similar everywhere. There aren't nonprofit people and for-profit people. There aren't government people and private industry people. There aren't NGO people and um, you know other people. They're just people. People tend to be, and it doesn't make doesn't mean they're easy because they're all different and they always surprise me all the time. But it does mean that they uh, they will tend to bring their own experiences and perspectives and emotions and. Uh, um, and intelligence and creativity and other things to it. And that's what makes it fun. Well, Paul, thank you. And as we begin to wrap up here, I want to ask kind of a, a crazy question, but I want to see Facebook through through your eyes. Um, I take it you have a Facebook account and I take it you're on it decently regularly. Um, do you have, I mean, I honestly, I'm not, I mean, I have a Facebook account and I'm not on it that often, but I mean, what's your routine? Do you hop on it every day? Do you share pieces? Um, do you connect with friends or are you, or is that just a separate entity that, you know, you don't want to mix personal and yeah. work? Well, Francesca, thank you. I, I was, I started my Facebook account about an hour and a half before my formal appointment. After I've been through the whole <laughs> process. So I, I did use LinkedIn and I, but I mainly use that to just, keep track of some people I knew and note when they change jobs. I never looked at it for anything other than when people change jobs. Um, the, I have sent a few hundred messages out on Facebook. Every single one of them has been happy birthday, two words. So that's, that's really the extent of my thing. I'll, I'll see, I'll get a notification that somebody's posted. I'll look on it. I'll, uh, take note and it, it I, find, I find it is, I, I, I've never posted anything other than a happy birthday message. I've never, I don't know what my account looks like. You should, you should take a look. Um, I, I did have my assistant put a picture up there, but you know, <laughs> eventually be too old. But, um, anyway, so it's, it's, it's really limited stuff, same for LinkedIn, but I, I just, I, I like to look at it. So I can't send, say I spend, 
I, I probably look at it every day, but I probably don't spend more than a minute on it every day. I will read something if if it jumps out at me, but I can't. It isn't a it isn't a big part of my life, and I'm pretty haphazard about who's on there. If somebody's name pops up that I know, or or has a lot of connections I have, like an I'm connected to a lot of NPR people, and I if somebody comes up from NPR, I always connect with them. Facebook would serve the society has been serving the society very well through the birthday wishes and messenger yeah. functions and uh, and then they can also cite the Arab Spring democracy movements but and then the rest. I've got yeah. one friend that who nearly he's a friend of mine from Princeton, known him since freshman year nineteen fall of nineteen sixty six, and he posts a picture on Facebook of nearly every meal he eats. And this happened for a while. I said, okay, I went to Heather and I said, okay, Heather, I have one friend from my Princeton class, and this is 840 guys uh, and 10 women. And I said, one friend from my class who posts everything they eat on Facebook, you have one guess, and she got it right. So, you know, all of us are going to have people <laughs> really love Facebook. Like, like, people, people are very different, but they're also sometimes yeah. consistent. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it will only take many more years to come for, for people to realize what happens with, you know, so, social media, what it does to us. I, I, I was interviewing this, uh, this professor, Alex Taberick, who is a pretty famous economics professor in George Mason University, and he was saying how um, if you look at Nazi Germany back in like the 1930s, that was also a time when movies were first invented. So, so yeah. for us, when we look at Hitler, we're like this, this little guy is kind of short and does not very charismatic. But to the people at that time, when they're literally seeing him on the giant screen and like they've never seen before, he felt like a god to a lot of people. So maybe it was very hard for people to process, you know, psychologically or, or um, what was going on. And, and it's kind of the same, I guess, for a lot of people with, with social media, with, I don't know, TikTok or, or those algorithms. And, and maybe the my generation or, or kids younger than I, I feel like Francesca and I sometimes don't understand a lot of those stuff that well any, already. And, and maybe my kids will. Speak for yourself. I, I, <laughs> I understand it perfect. Well, you know, the, this is not, I'm, this is not, I'm not pursuing the Nazi Germany analogy, but uh, I, I accept it. But the... Just one thing that I think going forward, and invariably when something big and new happens and it has some disturbing elements to it, the widespread reaction is somebody needs, somebody else, probably the federal government needs to do something about this. The immediate reaction is never, I need to do something about this. Okay, this thing exists. How can I have it not control my life? How can it have it not? How can I get the good out of it, but protect the bad out of it? But that takes work. So that's never the first, the first idea that presents itself. And so people say, government do this. And I think what, what tends to happen historically over time is people realize, okay, as always, the government or some regulatory body or some institution or some company can only do so much. I've got to meet them halfway by doing my part. I got to take some control over this. I got to limit my kids' hours on this. I've got to limit my own hours on this. I've got to, 
you know, not wallow in stuff, not answer everything I see, not, 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 not. And I, I think I already see it, but I think that, and, and, and that is kind of a cycle that comes up with, with everything. When you think about, you know, TV originally, just all life was around when TV was invented. There was all these worries about what terrible stuff was going to be on it and how addicted it would be and things like that. And um, the, um, you know, eventually people did come around to saying, okay, maybe I need to turn off my kid's TV. Maybe I need to set limits. Maybe I have to do them. But the first instinct was, what's the government going to do to protect me from this? Well, that was actually just such a powerful message. Yeah, I, I think we'll take... I won't speak for Francesca after she just roasted me, but I will. I, I will <laughs> take a little bit more time to internalize that message. You deserved it. Wonderful. I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Paul, the, the name of our show is uh, is Policy Punchline. So, our last question to you: okay. What would your punchline be uh, for for this interview? For everything we've talked about related to Facebook? Uh, Gosh, wow! Punchline. I'm summing up too much in too few words. But I'll just, uh, this is not, this doesn't sum up everything, but it's a punchline maybe to leave you with. And it's something that uh, people at Facebook know I bring up a lot and it's expectation management. And so be, you know, manage your expectations about what someone else can do, meet them halfway, but don't think anybody's gonna make something perfect for you and then react accordingly and uh, stop shaking your fist at us and give us some useful, meaningful criticism. Paul, thanks so much for joining Francesca and me today. Uh, it's such a great honor to have you on the show and uh, talk about Facebook. So we're very happy and, and very thankful that you decided to join us for a second time to have this part of the conversation after, you know, last time. So uh, thanks so much for, for being here today. Great. Great to see you both again. And um, thrilled that you're going to be in New York, thrilled that we're starting to travel again and planning to see you in the fall. So that was our interview with Paul Haga. Uh, friend, how did you like the interview? Any additional thoughts or conclusionary remarks on the issue? Tiger, I learned so much. I think now I'll, I'll honestly never think of, you know, Facebook in, in the same way. And I think um, now when I, you know, think about politicians who are posting and, and just about, you know, me and what I post and what friends post, I think I'll be much more like, yeah, I mean, I'll think a lot more about the algorithm and who all is seeing all of the content and, uh, you know, just this platform as a whole. But this couldn't have been a better podcast. I enjoyed every minute, learned so much. And Tiger, yeah. thanks for having me on. No, it was very interesting at, at the beginning when Paul was talking about government making decisions and, and he was comparing Facebook with other. Facebook also has operations in other countries. And then that was the moment when we kind of realized it. it people look at America and say the American government should step in. But if you change the American government to another nation's government, a lot of people would probably hesitate to say, oh, I would, I would actually trust Facebook more in making certain decisions. So it's a very complex issue. And uh, his, his ending message about meeting Facebook halfway and meeting government halfway, I think that's also a somewhat empowering message to the users, which is that uh, we, we don't want the government or Facebook to be the paternalistic Kind of organization that, that makes all the decisions and, and in fact people probably revolt against the idea of facebook deciding exactly what are facts and what are not facts and we, we probably want to feel some kind of agency to, to and, and self-judgment so it's always kind of a uh push and pull so yeah for sure and just as uh, paul said before he hopped off or um 
just as you said, important to manage expectations. Important to manage expectations, exactly. But so, Fran, thanks so much for, for joining me today. It's always wonderful to do this interview with you. So uh, I'm glad we uh, had a good run at, uh, as, as we graduated. So this is great. Me too. It meant a lot. Oh, I hope to be back, Tiger. Yeah, and, and this concludes this episode of Policy Punchline. Uh, you may follow us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, any of your preferred podcasting platforms. You can watch that video on YouTube. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. You've been listening to Policy Punchline, a podcast generously supported by the Julius Rabinowitz Center for Public Policy and Finance at Princeton University. We would also like to encourage you to follow other podcasts produced by Princeton University, such as Politics and Polls by the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. Policy Punchline is intended to be informational only and does not reflect nor represent the views of Princeton University or the Julius Rabinowitz Center for Public Policy and Finance. For more information on subscription, donation, volunteering, or contact, please visit policypunchline.com. Thank you again for listening.